Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. It's all in one place and it's free. It's called Spotify for podcasters. And here's how it works. Spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start recreating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available now on Spotify. Of course, they're optional. And when you want to take your conversations with your fans to the next level, the Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking and to get the conversation going. With Spotify for podcasters, you can even earn money in a variety of ways, including podcast ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it is totally free with no catch. Listen, ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, it has truly taken my show to a whole new level, especially with having the options like the video podcast, the Q&As and the polls, and has let me be creative in a completely different way and connect with my audience in a completely different way as well. So I highly recommend that you give it a try. Download Spotify for podcasters app or either go to the website, which is spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. Hey guys, welcome to the Girl Techno Podcast. I am your host, Shawnee Sanders. And today we are talking all about how to own your story. And we have a great guest with us today. Her name is Marsha Van Weisberg. She is a business storytelling coach. She's a six-time best-selling author, and she's also a fellow podcaster. So Marsha, uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Shawnee. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for us having this opportunity to talk. And before we get in, this is going to be a really good topic about owning your story and even how to tell your story to others, being able to be a storyteller, which is what I say the Girl Techno Podcast is all about. It's about telling women's stories and how we relate to each other through our stories. And so let's get into, before I start any conversation, I like to talk about the story behind the brand. So let's get into the story behind Marsha Van Weisberg, the six-time best-selling author. Like, how did you get from there to from where you were to where you are today? Mm, the story behind <laughs> is messy. It's like, mm. I, I never, I'm always very real and raw. Yes. I never want anyone to think that, oh my gosh, it, she makes it look easy and she doesn't struggle. So <laughs> not true. It's so not true. I actually, it was a very messy mm -hmm. journey for a number of years. I was a parent who dealt with teen substance abuse and mental health and challenges affecting, impacting the whole mm -hmm. family, you know, as well, not just the family unit, but like me as a person, my own confidence, my voice. I mean, I, I hit yeah. for a long time. I was a, I was, you know, literally just trying to put the face on and figure out how to handle ultimate chaos yet. Pray to God, nobody knows what's happening. So to see life now as a speaker and owning my story and sharing and talking, it's actually in some ways, I mean, I'm so glad I didn't know what was coming because I probably, I often openly share that I probably would have self-sabotaged yeah. it because I wouldn't have felt ready, worthy or anything of doing the work that I get to do today. And so I've seen both sides of it. And when you sit in that space of hiding behind a story, hoping, praying, no one will have a clue what's going on in your life. And by the way, most people yeah. do have an idea, but you think that they don't. And living in that space to now, I, you couldn't pay me to go back to how I used to feel. You just couldn't pay me to go back to live mm -hmm. in that space. And so it was really a, it was a messy journey to learn how to get to here. And what used to happen is I was seeing counselors. I was working with our schools. I was like, I was having conversations, but outside of that, I tried really hard not to let people see yeah. what was happening. And I often refer to, you know, the brave Brene Brown quote, I carried that armor like a shield. Like I was mm. proud of, I was strong. I could handle it. And eventually I blocked everyone out and that armor kept me extremely isolated yet I still had the problems and that was a moment I remember sitting there going my way is not working like I don't know what yeah. the way is but this is not working and so if you're feeling you know you're ever feeling suffocated by a story which I think most yep. people have because we all have stories and eventually what started to happen is I started to share in small groups and scared to mm -hmm. death like absolutely scared to death it was 
messy. I cried on stage. Like I did all of those things. And, but what kept happening is people would say, well, that is, that's my story. And I've never told anybody. And I started to feel, it didn't matter the size of the crowd I spoke in. I always had somebody say, that was my story. You shared that. Never told a soul for 40 years. And I, I was seeing these people living with this shame for so yeah. long that it identified and it like completely became their identity that I started to feel, I started to feel more confident and comfortable and strong and sharing my message. And so they were helping me to heal, but they were also fueled yeah. to keep going. And it just became this cycle of, wait, where else can my story reach? Who else could it help? What else could it do? And it grew very naturally and organically over a number of years. I mean, I think the very first time I spoke was in 2015, mm. so eight years ago. And it's just grown from there into a number of different different ways and different methods. Um, but it really comes down to learning how to change the meaning of that story and not make it mean something about me and recognize that my story could go a lot further and it could change the power by learning how to share it. Yeah. You know, I, I know that because even myself, I think about stuff that I go through or stuff I'm going through and you'd be so afraid to share with people because of judgment you know, and I feel like that's a lot of reason why people don't share their stories. And when we hear other people's stories, it resonates with us. And you see those people crying, but afraid to speak is because we're so afraid of the judgment. Like, how do you, how do you share your story, but get past that fear of like, feeling like people are just going to judge you, mm. you know, based off of either saying, wow, I can't believe like, oh, you're such a bad parent. Or either, you know, mm -hmm. if you think about your marriage, oh, wow, how could you allow those things to happen? I would never. How do you get past that fear? Oh, I, okay. So first off, I love this question because I think you've actually hit on the number one fear that people have is that yeah. fear of judgment. It really, I really think it's the number one fear and yeah. it's a practice. It is a practice. Um, you know, you hear all the time that, oh, people think that way because that has more to do with them than you. We might know that on like a philosophical level, but it still stings when people say things. And with our story at that time, I often say I didn't have to wonder what people were thinking. They had no problem stopping and telling us none. They had no problem stopping and telling us in parking lots, in stores. Mm -hmm. And so there's one thing about fighting this, you know, that sideways, sideways glance of judgment that you get from people. And it's another to have it like right in your face. And yeah. maybe it's best that we had it right in our face. Cause there was no question that what people were thinking. And I remember vividly having a day and I often share this story. I've never had a conversation with this friend since that day. And she showed up at my door very, very openly, like saying, I needed to do something with my kids. I needed to step up and be a better parent. And I remember looking at her and saying, you know me, like you actually are my friend. Like, you know, I'm trying everything I possibly can. Yeah. And all of a sudden she started to cry. And I, I mean, she was like bawling, like, why are you crying? And she said, because you don't have a clue how hard it is to be your friend right now. Ooh. And I, I remember sitting there and I'm thinking, this is, the story does tie, but I remember sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm going to do you a favor. Um, we don't actually have to have another conversation again. We can part ways. Yeah. There's no hard feelings. Like I don't have the bandwidth for this right now. Yeah. Recognizing that when you're in crisis like that, you can't take on other people's emotions and not everybody is meant to be in your journey for your whole lifetime, right? It's very small, yeah, actually, the true. people who are meant to be with you. It's very small. And the reason I say that is because she, I actually thank her because, um, she was a turning point for me because as she started to say all these things, I remember thinking, you know what? I've said all those things about myself. Like I've literally, I mean, I'm letting her her mindset, her words that were very hurtful, make me feel a certain way about myself. But I'm like, I've already said all those things. And it yeah. really became a moment of recognizing that I am my biggest critic. We are our own biggest critics. And yeah. that became a turning point for me that I don't have to worry about the judgment of others because I've already said all of it to myself. I have torn myself apart over this situation. There's nothing anyone can say to me. So that was a real turning point for me. The second piece is that 
um, when, when I went through the process and started to share and speak and my message really started to go further, um, it was hard and it was uncomfortable because people would say, wait, what's your book about? What's your, like, what's your talk about? And mm -hmm. I literally be like, it's the story of a mom who's kind of gone. Like, I was like, Marcia, seriously, you have published a book and you still can't openly share this. Yeah. So it's a process. I do want to say that. But if you are ever in a space where you are afraid of the judgment of others, what I would recommend is that, um, first off, don't let the people in your life today be the reason you speak up or don't speak up because they're, they probably aren't your people. The people that yeah. you are going to reach are going to be people who haven't even heard your message yet. Like we're having a conversation now we've never met. Like this is the, this yeah. is the power of our stories and our message is it can go a lot further. And then the other piece I would say to that is, is that like allow yourself to grow into that version that you will get better at learning to not let those judgments, those harsh words affect and stop you. Now, when I get them and I still get them a lot mm -hmm. actually, because DMs sometimes are really interesting on social media and yeah. DMs will come in and I'll look at it and I just like, wow, that's interesting. I like way less reactive. I don't need to prove anything to anyone. And I know in my heart what my intention is for sharing and why I do it. And that's all that matters. So it is a process. But when you start to look at that judgment differently and recognize that we're being our own biggest critics at all times anyways, that starts to put it in perspective. Yeah, it does. You know, I was going to ask about social media because now, you know, before, you know, before social media, being able to tell, be authentically yourself around people and tell people what you're truly going through in life, it was a small circle, right? It wasn't that big of a stage for us, you know, if we're not speaking on those stages. But now with social media, I feel like everyone can have a platform now to share their stories. And like you said, it comes with so much more reaction, so much more judgment. Do you think social media is a good platform for that to still share a story? Although it opens you up to so many, so much more criticism, but also maybe so much more positive feedback as well. Mm. Okay. So this, there's a, that's a great question. Um, I still think it's a great platform to share. I think that, um, I always encourage people to do work on themselves first before they like put that out there because yeah. you know you can share in small groups, you can share in small Facebook groups, you can share in communities, like you can still share mm -hmm. online, but in a little bit of way that feels safe as you continue to grow yourself because you have to grow to be able to hold that version, right? Yeah. And and I still think it's an incredible platform and place to share. The reason is, is like when I look now at some of the people who are in my life now, they would never be in my life if I hadn't shared my story. I mm -hmm. would never found each other. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to connect with incredible people from literally all over the world. So social media does that. But if you're not in a space where you feel comfortable, confident in your voice, like you don't know how to put those boundaries in place, if you get the criticism and it, it just crushes you, then I encourage you to find a smaller, safer space, safer space to connect and share and work on yourself so mm -hmm. that when those comments show up and they will, they will have less effect on you. I mean, yeah. I've, I have nothing for, for the most part, social media has been great for me. There have been a number of people I've connected with that have changed my life. And I know I've changed theirs. We've really made a difference. Um, but I also am aware that it can be a, it can be a pretty nasty place because I do think that there's some people who literally spent time on social media to like, they're looking for the negative. I'm like, wow, they were looking for yeah. a post to pounce on. And that's just what they're doing. Now, what do you do when that happens? You get to decide, like, it's your page. Yeah. I actually kind of yeah. have fun with it. I'm a little bit of a skin <laughs> to be honest, but I do have fun with I it. I do sometimes. <laughs> I do. I do. And I'm like, you know what? I'll do you a favor. You can just go to the unfollow button at any mm -hmm. point in time. And mm -hmm. when you do that, recognize it's your page, then, then do that. And the other thing I will say with social media is that it's really important that like you will not find your voice if you don't start using it. You just won't. Yeah. It's not going to happen. You have to find a way to start to use it in a way that you get some feedback and understand what is your message. 
And in the beginning, when I first started sharing, it was like 2015, 2014, 2015. And social media was incredibly curated at that time. Like mm-hmm. it was perfect grids and feeds. And I started going live after hot yoga on purpose. Didn't mm-hmm. have ring lights. We didn't have that. And yeah. it was, you know, I mean, I was a mess and all these things. And I'm actually grateful that I did it that way because I took the filters right off. Mm-hmm. I went, this is me and this is where I'm at. And I just started practicing Facebook lives on a regular basis. So find your way of doing it. But the sooner you can strip off those filters that are holding you back, then do that. Yeah. And I feel like social media does put pressure on people to the pressure on people want to look at other people's lives and feel like, okay, my life is not like that. And then it put pressure on them to be perfect. You know what I mean? To make sure everything look aesthetically good. When, like you said earlier, life is messy. Mm. Things happen in, you know, I'm a bonus mom. And so I was going to ask you a question because I have a, an older daughter. She's in her twenties and you know, she's, she said to me one day, cause I always ask her, she's very quiet and she don't share a lot. Right. And she's a mom now. Um, and I always, we asked her before, you know, I was like, yeah, you can really come to us and talk to us about things because I feel like you don't have a lot of people to talk to. And she said to me one day, she's like, you know, I do have a voice. She says, just, I'm afraid to use it. You know, I'm afraid because I don't want people to judge me. I don't want you guys to, to know everything that I'm doing. And it's been difficult for me to really, um, get her in a place of trust, mm-hmm. you know? So how do you, I'm, I'm not because you're the professional. How do you help someone in that place, in that space where you're like, I know you're going through stuff. I can see it, but I, I'm not the one that can pull it out of you. How do you help that person who, who you see is going through something and need help, but doesn't really know how to get it? Like, what do you suggest? Wow. That's, it's hard when you know somebody is in a space that they, you know, it is, that's, that is hard. It's also way more relatable than what people think. Like it's way more relatable. So one of the, I, I can't remember who said it, but it's, you know, every answer we're looking for is about seven questions deep. So when somebody Mm -hmm. says, I am afraid of what others are going to think, it's like, who, who is that? What is it? And then get like, keep asking and asking about that question five, six or seven, you're going to hit a level of emotion in them. And Mm -hmm. that's when you actually know you're getting to the actual heart of the matter. You're actually getting to the real reason what it is that they're afraid of. And what has to happen sometimes is this, that the discomfort of staying where we are has to become so much greater than stepping into the unknown. And I often think like, again, when those early stages, when I first started sharing, I was, I was so incredibly uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what was going to happen. And and, I mean, a lot of people didn't like what I was doing, what I was talking about. Like we, I come from a generation, um, born in the seventies where you don't share your life. You literally put the smile on, you fake it and you let everyone know your life is perfect. So I went against everything that I grew up with and my family didn't take that very well. Not going to lie. They really, they just, that was, that was wrong. And so I felt like all of these people disagree with what I was saying and doing, but the pain of staying in that quiet space was so uncomfortable that it's, I was like, I don't know what is going to be on the other side of this, but I can't stay here anymore. And I remember having moments where it was like, this is not sustainable. I can't stay in this space and energy anymore. So I stumbled into it. So I think that's the big thing is it's like, what, what is the cost of keeping you here? What is the, um, play in like our thoughts are only ever replaying our past or creating our, our future. So, so many times we stop ourselves because we have already played out all the ways it's going to go wrong. We have Mm -hmm. to train our mind to play in possibilities. We have to train our mind to play in possibilities. And even now and today, every time, very much an evidence-based analytical person, even though I still have that, you know, the feminine side and intuition, Mm -hmm. but even uh, now, pardon me, every time I doubt my next step, it's like, wait, who is in my life now? because of vulnerability and I look at it, it's like 95% of the people I get to be surrounded with now, I wouldn't even know if I hadn't done and found a way to start to share. 
So that's the, that's one of the ways to help to shift with, um, with her, with anyone else who's listening. And then the other piece is, is like where, again, where can you find a space to share that feels safe? Like that feels like a little safe, but a stretch, right? We need a stretch because humans, we tend to choose the discomfort that we know. Um, but that safe, but a stretch space that maybe you can allow yourself to step into. And the last thing I would say is, is that it's really important that if you're wanting to create that community and be able to share, own a story, share a story, you have to be out of the energy and mindset of being a victim of the story. And that can take a really long time. Some people never find their way out of that. I mean, I lived and owned in that space for so long that I know it very well. And I think it's a stage that we all have to go through when we go through hard times. We have to, we are a victim of our story until we start to see it differently. And I think that if you're the victim mindset and you're in that angry space, that's actually not the time to share it openly or to share your voice and message because you will only attract the people who agree with the whole victim mentality. And they're like jumping on your bandwagon too. So how do you shift that? It's like really doing work on yourself, listening to podcasts, reading books, you know, getting yourself into some groups. Because when you start to see that you are not a victim of your story, as as Stephen Covey says, like you're not a victim of your circumstances, you're a product of your decisions. That Mm quote changed my life. I was like, okay, I can't change what's happening to me right now because my kids were minors. If they were adults, if they were my spouse, they haven't gone, gone, Mm -hmm. but they were minors. So I couldn't change that. I had to learn how to change how I reacted to what we had. And so that's the other piece of it is that shifting out of the victim mindset, I think actually has to come first before you can start to openly share. Yeah. So a lot of it is mindset change when it comes to your story. And why do you think most people probably live in that space of living the story so long and be in in that victim space? Because I know people who are just you know, just want to live there the whole time, no matter what you say to them, no matter how much you tell them, like, you know, you are, you're strong. You know, they still see themselves as, as being weak in the moments of any type of trauma that has happened to them. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, how do you help that person? How do you help them get to that place of like, is really your mindset and help them change that mindset? I can be a vessel to help. A person has to be ready to hear that, yeah. right? That person does have to be ready for it. So if you're listening and this is a family member or you're coaching or supporting somebody, you can be like, I think that we actually, when we lead ourselves, we give others permission to do the same. And so you mm. can be that example, but a person has to want to do it. They have to want to make that change. I think that's the first thing is, is that that's something that they have to want to be able to do. And, um, yes, it's a mindset. Yes. It's a, it's a daily practice. It is a, Oh my God, it's not even daily. It's hourly. Sometimes like when you're in the middle, it's hour, it's, it is something that's there. And for me, I found like, I found mantras that worked to help my mindset in the moments, you know, years ago, I was just listening to podcasts. I was, I was reading books. And I understood from Tony Robbins that, you know, your state really does dictate what, how you respond to what's happening in life. Mm-hmm. And so again, recognizing that this was our experience, I was living in this chaos. It was my job to get better because I couldn't change the situation. I had to get better at how I was handling it. And so I listened to Tony Robbins like on YouTube. I don't even know, like, like him or not for me personally at that time, he helped me understand state. And yeah. so my state, I would start to pay attention to. And then for me, I had mantras. My podcast is called own your choices Own your life be- because the words like, that's not my choice Own my choice. They saved mm-hmm. my life years ago. When we were in the middle of chaos, it was like, that's not my choice. So I don't need to take responsibility for that. That's your choice. And so mantras make a big difference. They did for me. I'm not talking about affirmations. I'm talking about mantras that can help you to change your mindset in the moment can make a difference. And again, going back to playing in the realm of possibility, like what, Mm -hmm. imagine what could change in your life 
if by you sharing your message, that allowed you to connect with like, and build actual true authentic connections. What would that change for you in your life if you could? And the other thing I will share, and this is just again, a little bit of a mindset, but an actual actionable thing is that who do you connect with? If you're listening, who do you connect with online the most? And when I start asking people that almost always they'll start naming people. I'm like, why do you connect with them? They're like, cause they're so real. They're so real. Mm-hmm. They're so honest. I love the vulnerable side of it. Whatever you see in someone else is already available in you. It's already available. Yeah. in you. you just, your job is to allow that to come out. So it's funny how we look at that vulnerability in someone else and we're like, Oh my God, they're so courageous. I'm so like, I yeah. wish I could be like that. But you judge that as weakness in yourself. Like it's not weakness. Yeah. It's, it's strength. So really go back to it because we all, a lot of us create this persona that it has to be perfect before I can release it. And the most ironic thing is, is that we don't even connect to the people who are perfect. We connect to the (laughs) relatable people, right? So it's actually really funny. It is. You think about it. (laughs) It is like, it's, it's like when I do that, I'm like, maybe your top five accounts and they'll do it. And I'm like, okay, why do you like them? Oh my God, this, 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 this. And I'm like, then why are you trying to be something that you're not even like it does, it's not even you. It's, and so not. It's, it's not. And so it's really powerful. It's again, that's just a little bit of a mindset, but it's a shift to help you to kind of shift and see it differently. That's true. You know, and we do love people. I, my, I myself look at people who could be very vulnerable and share everything in the light. I do a look at them. It's like, man, they're so courageous. They're so strong, you know, because I do sometimes get that fear of, Ugh, I don't know if I want to share this, you know, it's that thing that I don't know if I want people to truly know what's going on in my life. You know, and for people to look at me and be like, because you look at, you do look at people sometimes with that vulnerability. You do look at it, just like you said, with yourself, you look at it as a weakness. Um, and so you're afraid to show that weakness because you want to represent strength, you know, and it's, it's amazing how you write. I follow people who are really authentic. I follow people who are very um open with their life, not really caring about how people feel about it. And yeah, I look at that person, you're like, man, that person is so amazing. I want to be like that. I want to get to that level. And I guess it's like you said, it takes work. It takes work to get to that level because tell me this, how detrimental is it for someone to hold on to their story, to let that story um, take over their life where they're not moving in a positive direction, where that story kind of holds them back from opportunities, from seeing themselves in a more confident way. How detrimental is it to their mental health? I think it's soul crushing. I think it's soul crushing. I I 100% do. And I'm going to, and I I love that you asked this question because I have had people say to me, but I don't want to speak on stages and podcasts Mm -hmm. like you do. Like, you don't have to. You actually don't have to. Mm -mm. But if your story is blocking you from saying yes to opportunities, if it is blocking you from showing up, from letting people see you, then your story is controlling you. And so yeah. I often say like you own it or it owns you. Like if it owns you, it controls every single thing you say yes and no to. And it is a really, um, it's far more power, powerful when we do that. Because what happens is, is like, we're either, I, how did I often say it? Is it that um, you either give the power to yourself or you give it to the story? It's, it's yeah. only one of the two. And when you hide it in shame, the story actually is the one that has the power not you, because you're letting it define you. And so it's actually keeping you small, right? It's keeping you small in your life and not allowing yourself to be seen. So I think there's tremendous power in learning to share our experiences and be real and what's out there. I mean, even when you go back to social media now, I think that there is a number of, yes, we still have, you know, your models looking, growing incredibly but there's also, there's a lot of them. Like you look at somebody like Elise Myers who shared, I refer because when she started showing up three years ago, totally unpolished, totally like just real talking about mental health, mm-hmm. her account's grown and she's done a lot of things. I've seen her openly take incredible criticism from nasty people. And it's been, you know, it's just been watching a real person go through this. But I, I just think that if you don't own it, like it will own you. And if it owns you, it controls you in what you say yes or no to. Learning how to own your story will be one of the most freeing things you ever will walk through. 
And when you start to get, when you get to that side of it, it, a, a lot of things can change. And so, you know, even in the beginning, as I said, when I released my book, I still had a really hard time. Yeah. Like saying like, this is what my story was. And about a, three or four weeks before it was supposed to release, I actually had a very successful author reach out to me and say, your book was passed on. I, I love what you're doing, but you have to change the cover and you have to put your face on the cover. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like I'm not putting <laughs> my face on that cover. And he's like, is it your boy's story or is it your story? And I'm like, it's mm -hmm. mine. He goes, then the mom's face has got to go on the cover. And my book is the cover of my face. And when you start to look at it, I often laugh thinking like I was afraid to even, I would only get groceries at 10 PM at night. Cause then nobody was there. Like mm. that's how, that's where I lived. And I share that with you, not to be a shock factor to show you what can change. Yeah. Like a yeah. lot can change in your life when you're in that space. And I still get criticism. I still get comments, but I literally just look at it and it's like, thanks for your opinion. Cause I, I'm good. Like I'm good. Yeah. And it's very, and like you said, then like you said, you can hit that unfollow button. You can hit that delete button off that comment and you don't have to necessarily take in because I guess once you're out there and you're telling your story, are you out there in some form or fashion, the public eye, people are going to always have something to say, mm -hmm. you know, and it's always not going to be positive and you're going to have to learn how to not pay attention to that because it's your story and it's your truth. And now tell us exactly what steps do you recommend someone taking when it comes to owning their story? Hmm. Great question. So the steps that I would recommend, um, it really comes down to, I, sometimes I'll take people through like a, like a storytelling framework. Like what, who mm -hmm. were you before? Like in a really quick nutshell for anybody who's listening, who were you before? What happened? Who are you now? Like as a result, who are you now? And when it comes down to what happened again, not victim mentality. It's not like he did, she did, she said this, it's like, that's not what it is. It's like, how did you react or respond? Cause you still always have a choice in how you react and responded and how are you different as a person now? So when you start to break up those things, it can really help you to look at like, what is my story? And yeah. I often share, um, I take people sometimes through this like storytelling workshop where it's like, you do a timeline and I'll share it here um, with your listeners. You do a timeline of your life. Like what are all the things that you remember? I mean, our subconscious mind, we remember everything. We just don't always think we do, but we do. And what are the things that you walked through and you experienced and wins and challenges like you know good bad and you start to do it and then i want you to kind of make a summary of what are the lessons that you learned on the wins category and what are the lessons that you learned on the challenges category and when you start mm -hmm. to do that you're going to see themes you'll start to see because we're humans we are creatures of habit we will live the same lesson over and over and over yes. <laughs> honest to god <laughs> <laughs> until we can draw attention to it. This is why I think the pattern's really good because until we can draw awareness to it, we can't break that pattern. And so when mm -hmm. I did this exercise, and this is just something that I stumbled on as I was trying to figure out how to put it into words to do this, I started to see that I spent most of my life as an advocate. And I've been like an advocate mm. who spoke out about a number of different things. And so all of a sudden it was very ironic because I'm like, wow, I've spent my life as an advocate speaking, using my voice, except these last five years, I haven't said a thing. I faked myself mm. through it. I am, I am not being in integrity to who I am. And I was like, your job is to now find a way through this and to change it. So I yeah. hope that helps, but if those steps really start to make a difference and what happens is, is that we all have about five or six lessons that are core lessons for us that we have learned. And, you know, I know it's hard to put yourself out there and share it, but I often think like, would my life have been different if somebody was talking about these difficult things years ago, potentially, but nobody was. And so yeah. we become that little, that model of inspiration for typically our younger self. It's like, it's like a younger version of us who is looking for those connections. And so when you start to do that, you get a compile those lessons and it's like, okay, wait, these are actually really powerful lessons that mm -hmm. the beautiful thing is, is that for example, I kept thinking, 
I, I don't think I just want to work with parents dealing with addictions. Like I didn't think that I did, but that's always a big give back component to what I do. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to spend my life working with that. And I thought that's the only people that I would connect with. And yeah. it's not true at all. Because I, so if you're like, but I don't want to just talk to people who live my story, that's mm-hmm. not going to be the case. What happens is as humans, we connect via emotions and experiences. So yep. you are going to connect with people who have never walked a day in your shoes, but they will hear you share something and they're going to go, oh, I get what she's feeling. I get mm-hmm. that feeling. I understand that feeling. And all of a sudden you're going to start to find your people. So the more you can tap into the experience, the emotions, the lessons, that's what you're meant to share, not the details of the story. And if you're still not sure, think of my story. How much of my story have I actually shared? Like I haven't shared. Mm-hmm. You don't have yes. to give the details. I am a parent who does the whole thing and a story. Like there's my yeah. story. So you see what I mean? Like, don't feel like you have to give everything because you absolutely don't. You're right. That's so, that's so true. When you think about it, you don't have to give the full details and you never know who your story is going to resonate with. You know, you never know who, like I said, see themselves in your story just based off, like you said, that emotion and that experience. And how, let me ask you that. How much ownership does, do you take when it comes to owning your choices? How much ownership is, how much ownership, uh, let me try to get this question right because I'm thinking about it in my head and it's coming out in a different way. How much ownership do you take? in your story although like you said we might get to a place where we're like well this person did that this person did this and we're looking at ourselves like the victim how much ownership are you supposed to take in your story when you're ready to share your story oh i'm gonna say a hundred percent i'm gonna say i'm gonna follow my gut it's a great question because again i think that if you have a piece of your story that you don't have that ownership piece of then don't share that piece like this don't share that piece Um, I heard Lisa Nichols say it years ago, it changed my life. It's like, if you want to share a vulnerable story, you need to be able to share it as though the people you were speaking about are in the room with you. Mm. And if you can't share it in the way that they're in the room with you, then it's not meant to be shared. And if you can't leave others in integrity, then you're sharing their part of the story. You're not sharing yours. And I will always leave my boys in integrity because they like, and I, I honestly, I don't, I dedicate my whole book to them because they, they've been my best teachers. The last thing is, is if you can't share a part of your story without absolutely breaking down, not meant to be shared. It's just that simple. So keeping it really simple, I think is very helpful, especially as you're working through these difficult parts. But I, as far as I take that very seriously, owning your choices and taking full radical responsibility for your choices, that's your job. It's your job. Like it's literally that is, that also means that like there are times in my life where I will watch my reaction. I will watch how I respond with my husband. I'm like, wow, that is not my best self. That is not not my my best self today. (laughs) And I I own that, but I also look at it and go, you know what? Why is, why is my not best self coming up? And it is almost always because I am not good on my boundaries. I'm not giving to myself. I am not like making myself a priority. I'm not. So that's ownership. And it's like, wait, what do I have to do? It's not his job to know what I need and to give it to me. It's my job to take care of me so that I can bring my best self forward. So yeah, I think I actually think it's like, I I don't think I've been asked that question before and I love it. (laughs) I'm going to say a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent on your story, right? And then when you bring up the not showing up as your best self as your wife, I, I understand that a hundred percent. And I think that as wise we all can, because I do sit back and say, "Well, I, I could have handled that differently." Oh yeah, you know, and <laughs> and then go back to, "Well, it's not my fault; it's his." You know what I mean? Now I'm not taking ownership because I'm like, "It's not me; it's you." Because I'm I'm okay, you're not. That's the- <laughs> it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's really true. It that is. also means. That there have been times where my my husband will be in that spot, and I'm looking at him yeah. going like, like, what did I do to you? Like, what is the problem? <laughs> and I want to lose it because that's just my personality. And I just look at it and I'm like, do you want to start this conversation again, or do you want to just like have some time apart today? Because I don't know what's going on with you. And he's like, no, I'm not being my best self right now. And I'm like, okay, good, good. Like, like we're human, right? Like, let's just yeah, we are. Not shoot for perfection. 
But I really think it's important that we take full responsibility for our own behavior. And I've done that. Like when things were, when we were navigating a lot of the kids, I would look at it and be like, okay, you actually can't talk to me that way. Cause if you choose yeah. to, like I, most parents, one of the biggest mistakes we make is we over talk, we over complicate and we speak mm -hmm. and, and flap the handle. It became way more powerful when I would just hit a point where it's like, do you want to start your sentence again? Or do you want to leave? Because I actually, you actually can't talk to me that way here. It's, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And end of discussion, right? So it's very powerful yeah. to learn how to say less. Yeah, it is. You know, speaking on the parenting piece and what you dealt with, how much of it did you feel? Because I know as parents, sometimes we think that any things that our kids do when they're young, we look at it as a reflection of us <laughs> and we blame ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we say it's our fault that my child is this way, behaving this way, reacting this way, having this type of trouble. How much of it, when you were going through that dark period, did you blame yourself for everything? All of it. I 100%. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked this question. I literally, one of my biggest emotions I had to work through was guilt because I felt like I had done, yeah. I must have done guilt. something wrong. I must have done something wrong. And I feel like that this is because I, this is just for the moms. I know all parents go through this, but I'm just going to share this. I don't know why we think we've signed a contract somewhere that we are 100% responsible mm -hmm. for every single thing that happens. And it's our job to make it all perfect and fix every single moving piece because it's not doable. It's not doable, but we all yeah. feel like we've signed that. And so, yeah, I owned, I, I totally took responsibility for that. And it wasn't until a counselor said to me, I need you to read a book on codependency because you're codependent. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. And I read the book and it was so funny because as I read it, I started to read it. I literally was like, oh my God, I am. Like, I, I did not know that. And codependency, I mean, well, I think all parents, we go through this. I do think we do. But in a sense, when you're dealing with a difficult situation like this, is mm -hmm. that, um, when two people are trying to own a problem, like two people are taking responsibility as codependency at its core, then nobody owns it. And if nobody owns it, nobody changes it. And so learning how to let go of that guilt and release it allowed me to stand in a space of being like, but that's not my choice. And, but this is my choice. And this is what I take responsibility for. And once I started to do that, like, I wish I would have learned that lesson so much sooner. But once mm -hmm. I started to do that, that meant that they actually had to have consequences of their own choice, right? Their own responsibility. Yeah. You know, you're not going to go to school. You're not going to pass. Like, I'm not calling the school and saying, no, mom, they failed me. Yeah, well, that happens. Like, it happens. Mm -hmm. And so I think that mm -hmm. learning to do that. Now, people say, well, that's easier when they're teenagers. You know what? None of it is easier when you're just so you know. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. you're a different it's breed. They're a different breed of teens. They mm -hmm. really are. Um Oh, I actually had this little thing I used to say to myself again, call it much or whatever. But when your kids are little, like their behavior is a badge of honor for you. It is like, you know, yeah, they're so well. -behaved. It really is such a great job as a parent. Oh, yeah. You know, pat yourself on the back, right? Yeah. yeah. Good job. Good job. Mm -hmm. And it becomes that. And, and just like that, when you see the kid throwing the fit in the grocery store, how many times do you look at the mom? And it's like, yeah, like, why yeah. don't you just do something with that? Oh, and my God. Yeah right? That's true. That we do. True. We yes. give that. But there, let's be real for a second. Like there comes a point where our job as a parent is to teach them lessons and values. Um, but we don't share a brain. Like we actually don't share a brain with them and they're going to yeah. make those decisions on their own. So there were times where I was like, I'm not sharing a brain with them. Like I can't make this happen. And yeah. so it became very powerful that, you know, our job is not to keep them forever. Our job is to guide them. And mm -hmm. one of the things I used to say to my kids long before we even had this, but definitely a lot more afterwards, is that I will cheer you on. I will walk beside you and cheer you on and encourage you. But my job is not to push and pull you through life. Like that yeah. is not, they can't survive on life outside of us if we don't empower them how to make decisions that can support themselves. You know, they have to make mistakes. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's my answer for that. I just, I want people to know, like I, guilt is probably the emotion I struggle with the most until I hit a point. The last thing I want to share on this is that 
I had to, again, in analytical thinking, I had mm -hmm. to have like this little checklist where it was like, I did every single thing that every therapist, every counselor asked me yeah. to do. Like I had that thing all checked, checked off. And that was a moment where I went, you know what? I have literally done everything I could possibly think to do. Yeah. And we could go back and change and make every single decision differently and still have the exact same story that we had at that time because the decisions were not made by me. They were made by yeah. my kids at the time. So I think as parents, we have to come to a point of recognizing like, am I doing the best I can with the situation, with the information at that time? And if the answer is yes, then honestly, you've got to find a way to stop putting so much pressure on yourself that you have to do it perfectly. Yeah. And I, and I think that, yeah. And that's the big piece of, piece of it is that there's no such thing as perfect parenting. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no such thing as the perfect parents, you know, yeah. everyone makes mistakes. Everyone is trying to figure it out. Every child is different, you know, yeah. um, especially when you have multiple kids in the house, they're all, they're not all the same kids. You know, they all do things differently and they react differently, but it's the guilt piece of it. Like you said, is that when they're acting up in the store, you do, you, you look at like, okay, yeah, this is a reflection of me. People are judging me because of it. But that guilt piece is is so huge when something isn't going right and people are looking and judging and saying that you are um this is because of you maybe a lack of what you do you know I'm I'm gonna take you somewhere in a minute because I've been listening to a lot of discussions on social media and I noticed that a lot of people have been blaming single mothers for a lot of their children's um behaviors and I, and I mean like adult children behaviors and I don't know if you've been if you've been privy to these conversations or hurting in this on social media I and that's having this conversation just made me think about how you know when you say that their kids we don't our kids don't belong to us I remember my mother used to say well you're mine you belong to me mm -hmm. right and I remember that when you get in trouble you belong to me okay and I realize now and I hear a lot of the parents say that you know our kids don't belong to us like you said they're just you know people that we're supposed to help um direct through life and help them go off and do their own because they're gonna grow up they're gonna go do their own things and I just been seeing a lot of blame on moms lately where it's like they're being blamed for the choices that they're making, how they're raising their kids. And what do you say to that single mom who is doing it all on her own, right? Doesn't have that help yet. People one already judging her because she's a single mother. And that's still a big thing that people seem to do these days. And, and she's doing the best she can, but yet you raise a child and that child come back and say, well, you're the reason why. I didn't, I wasn't able to go to certain activities. I wasn't able to do certain things when they don't know their mom's story. Really, mm -hmm. What do you, how do you, how do you encourage that mother to one, have her voice to not feel bad about what she did or how she raised a child? Cause she did the best she could. Or she's doing the best she can. What do you say to that mother? Mm, I, I love that you asked this question. First off, if you are listening to this and this is resonating with you, I would say that like you seriously rock, honestly, because I can't, yeah. I, I really think that it's parenting is a hard job as it is. Like it is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the life contract that we sign up for that. It's like, wow, mm -hmm. it's a good thing. I didn't know what was involved in this. Um, because yeah. it, don't know if I would have chosen, right? If you knew, no. wow, yeah. We've had some pretty interesting conversations in that, like my one son said, you know, mom, if I give you a million dollars, would you do it all over again? I'm like, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Not at all. No, sir. <laughs> Two million dollars, would you have gone over it again and had another another child? Nope. Like, it's just, nope. Not a chance. Like, been there, done that, walked through it. My husband's always oh. and he's like, nope, we would have gotten more dogs. Sorry, boys. We would have gotten more dogs. <laughs> so I know that's right. It's no joke. Like it's not. It is. It is not. It's easy. not. It's and, not. And that's not easy. With like, we had two parents together mm -hmm. going through this. Were we always on the same page? Absolutely not. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. Like we almost lost it many times during those years because it was really ugly to navigate. Um, yeah. but we had to find our way. So, you know, I, do I think, then this is, I realize this is a really big question or big answer. Like I know a lot of people who are together in a marriage who absolutely are miserable, like miserable. Yeah. 
And so two parents doesn't necessarily make a better household because yeah. I know people who are together for all the wrong reasons and literally hate each other. So yep. it's like, what's the point of that? So I, I do think that like as a single parent that it is, um, it's amazing what you're doing. And I think that mm -hmm. please always come back to like how I know it's hard. I know it's hard to mm -hmm. make yourself a priority when you're a single parent, even if your kids are younger, like how do you do that? But yeah. you need to find a way so that you can pour into yourself. So you have something extra to give to your kids too. And that yeah. can be in the smallest ways. I'm not saying you need like two hours of your alone time to journal every day. You know what? But five minutes, you are giving an example to your kids that you are important and you need to mm -hmm. take care of you. And it's interesting because it makes me think of, I had a client once who, you know, the, they were a family of four. The mom did everything. She never gave to mm -hmm. herself once, not once. Yeah. And when the daughter grew up and had her own child, that's what she modeled. And she never, she was like, oh, I would never, I can't take time for me. That's selfish. My mom never did that until mm -hmm. finally she hit a point where she was like, I can't even like, I, I must be doing something wrong. Cause my mom had four kids and she made it look so easy. Yeah. I can function with one. What am I doing wrong? I said, can you do me a favor? Can you ask your mom if she was happy? And she went back exactly. and asked her mom and her mom was like, no, those were the most hardest, miserable years of my life, but I would have never yep. shown that to someone. So my point to that is, is that it's actually really powerful to teach your kids that you're a priority too, because as they yes. grow up, they also, I don't want them growing up thinking that they don't matter and they only have a job as a mom to take care of everyone else. Not only with mom, but you know what I'm saying? And it's really important. So if you're a single mom listening to this, find a way to give back to yourself in some way, shape or form, even if it's small, find a way yeah. to let your kids know you're doing this to help you be a better person, a better mom, better comp, all those, whatever that is, let them see you making yourself a priority. That's not selfish. You're empowering them in ways that you can't even see yet. Know that they're going to have some days you're going to rock it out of the park and you're going to have some days you're going to be like, wow, that was not my best self today. Yeah. And forgive yourself, say, you know, apologize and have those moments, those heartfelt moments with your kids. Let them see you as human, not as like a superhuman who is doing yes. everything perfectly. You know, we grew up in that era where the kids, again, were to be seen and not heard, right? Were mm -hmm. to be heard. And our, I mean, our parents made, we were definitely part of the whole spanking, crazy spanking stage. Uh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I um, was, yep. I, our parent, like our generation, there was never an apology for anything that was wrong because they mm -hmm. were always right. And mm -hmm. I, I, I just think that you can humanize it in a sense and let your kids know, you know what, I'm doing the best that I can with what I have. And I mean, I always try and I always give. I also think the last thing I'll say on this is be super mindful about what you're deeming as important. It is far more important for you to give back to yeah. yourself so you can be a better mom to take care of your kids for them to see that than that is to have a perfectly clean house at all times. It's just not like what's yeah. important because if you're setting yourself up for expectations that you can't achieve or maintain, or if it's never enough, then, you know, it's not worth it. I remember, love my mom to pieces, but I'm, I was the only one in the family raised boys and boys are a different breed. Sorry. They just are. Mm -hmm. very much. <laughs> so she was over once and I remember her looking at the floor, mortified at how dirty oh, my house was. And I'm looking, yeah. I'm looking at her. I'm like, it's killing her not to say something. And I looked at her and I'm like, if it bothers you that much, I'll get the vacuum out. Cause honestly, I don't have the, I don't have the bandwidth. I'm just doing the yeah. best I can. So yeah. I think we can give ourselves more grace and compassion and know that we are, we're doing a tough job. Yeah. I think you said, uh, I mean, you said a lot of things that was, that was really important. And a few things that stuck out is that one is to let the kids see you as human. You know, because like you said, I my mom, uh, I was raised by a single mom. I think that's why it's so passionate to me when they talk about single parents and their parenting styles. And I'm like, I was raised by a very strong single mother. Mm -hmm. And my mom showed no weakness. 
whatsoever. I, I don't even remember seeing my mother cry ever until I got older as an adult. And, and I always looked at her as that really strong person. And so I felt like, like you said, you mimic what you see. You and I felt like that's how I had to be. You can't show vulnerability. You can't show weakness. You can't show emotions. You must always be strong at all times. And I think it's like you said, it's okay to show vulnerability. You know, it goes back to that. We are so afraid to be vulnerable, especially in front of our kids, because we don't want them to see us hurt or crying. I want, don't want to see us not knowing what we're doing, you know, because we always got to know what we're doing as parents. And I think it's important, like you said, to give yourself some grace to know that there are going to be messy days. Like you said, there's going to be messy days. There's going to be days where you, where you feel like you can, like you said, you knocked out the park, but there's going to also be days where you feel like, okay, I probably dropped the ball a few times today. (laughs) And that's okay. My kids are okay. They're healthy. They ate today. They're great. That's all I should care about. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's (laughs) it's so true. And I think it is like recognizing being honest with our kids too, right? Like I, I remember Mm -hmm. saying, and I just want to bring it back to vulnerability because you said it, I wrote it down and I wanted to come back to it. So it was perfect timing. Um, that this piece on vulnerability, again, it is strength having those real vulnerable conversations and many people will look at it and think, you know, um, I'm afraid. What are people going to think? All these things, but vulnerability is the only way to build connection. Like let yourself be mm-hmm. seen and heard. It is literally the only way to build connection. And the only way you get there is like you build courage as you do it. So you don't yeah. sit, wait, have courage and then be vulnerable because you're going to wait your whole life. It's not how it happens. You have to yeah. practice and do. And so I've had very open conversations with both of my kids where it's like, you know what? I guarantee you, I made mistakes. I absolutely guarantee you. I made mistakes. Um, I did the absolute best I could with an Mm -hmm. unbelievable circumstance and also know that parenting doesn't come with a manual. And if there was a manual, Mm -hmm. there was no manual for we were living in. I promise that, Mm -hmm. but there was, they don't come with a manual. And so I remember saying to them once that, like, I promise you I made mistakes, but I can promise you I did the best that I could with the situation that I had. And I often said to them, like, was there ever any time that you were unclear about my wishes when it came to substance abuse? Was I ever wishy-washy or gray? And they're like, Oh God, no, you were like so clear. And I'm like, okay, good. Because it's consistent. Right. So yeah, I didn't like the message, but I was being consistent. And so our job is not for them to like us. Our job is yeah. to be that model for them of what is acceptable in life. Like just being a good human, what that looks like. And, yeah. so, you know, give yourself that grace, honestly, as you go through it and have those open and vulnerable conversations. And you can even do it when they're younger. Like it's okay yep. to say, you know what? mom, mom lost it. I'm not proud of how I, how I handle myself right now, but that's also because I have to give a little bit more to me. So can you, you know, just take 10 minutes, like, here's your book, play, whatever it is, give me 10 minutes. And then I'll give you that undivided attention. I think modeling that is so much more healthier than you could ever imagine. Yeah, it really is. And, and like I said, I want to speak a lot more life into single mothers in those conversations because of the hardship and the judgment that they're receiving. And a lot of them probably have stories and that they can share and own their own, their own choices and voices, but they're afraid to because of those judgment, even afraid to reach out for help with being a mom and maybe being stuck somewhere simply because of that judgment. Um, I want to talk about radical responsibility. I see you have, that's a phrase of yours. So tell me, what does radical responsibility means? So radical responsibility is, is, is very closely tied in my verbiage to like owning my choices and Mm -hmm. radical responsibility means that like I take full ownership for how I choose to show up, what I do. Um, I mean, how I speak, what I say, Mm -hmm. It's my responsibility. And how do I find that space is that um, people say, okay, but how do I even do that? Where do I start? Is like, look at an area of your life where you might be blaming someone else for something mm-hmm. that is happening. Oh yeah. Blame mm-hmm. sits on the opposite end of ownership in my books. I've done a whole podcast series on this, like that blame and ownership sit on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so if you're sitting in a space of blame, 
then what you're doing is you're pointing the finger saying that that person's behavior, for example, as I did with my kids, I did this, that Mm -hmm. their behavior was the reason my life was not going the way that it was supposed to, which means that if I actually really believe that, then I will sit here waiting for their behavior to change for my life to change. And I don't know about Mm. you, but like, that's a lot of waiting. That's a lot of waiting. And that person might never change. So when we sit in that space of blame, we are sit, like, we are not owning our own choices. So radical responsibility. I just love the word radical to me because it's my reminder mm-hmm. that like, am I actually taking full responsibility for myself? And when I did that, that meant I learned how to like pour back into me to listen to what I needed, give to myself, all of those pieces And when I did that, my life started to change. Like I showed up with different energy. Because again, remember my circumstances, they were here. Like I couldn't get away from it. So I'm trying to work, come home to chaos. Like it was just, there was nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. I had to get better at how I was handling the situation. And ironically, the more I poured into me and took radical responsibility, the more I could respond better instead of react. They're two very different things. Mm-hmm. Right? Reacting yeah. with a ton of energy. As a counselor said mm-hmm. to me, when you react to something every single time, it's like throwing gas on a fire. Nobody wins. But when you learn mm. to respond, you're literally throwing sand on the fire. You're not reacting. You're conserving your energy. Now, all of a sudden, like now my tank was a little bit more full and then a little bit more full and those winds kept stacking on. So taking radical responsibility really helped me to show up differently to circumstances that I couldn't control. But what happened then is that more I could respond better to what was happening the situation started to change because I wasn't as reactive. I was, so even though the story didn't change, it changed because I showed up differently to it. I reacted differently to it. The story started to change. And in a very ironic twist, which I never would have got at the time, that is literally what my kids have had to do in order to create change in their life. They're grown men now. They had to come to a space Mm -hmm. of like, you know, so for example, there was a point where my son stopped going to school. Both of them stopped going to school. And it was like, all right, well, you can't stay here if you're not going to go to school because mm-hmm. just this is like a luxury. And as we went through this time, I remember there was a point where my one son said, I want to go back to school. I think I want to do something else with my life. And I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. And Mm -hmm. he started to go on that path because he's like, this isn't what I want for my life. I actually want something else. And that he started to take radical responsibility. They both started to take it. So I'm not saying this because of me, but I started to model that it was a way to help me to survive and thrive Mm -hmm. in a very chaotic situation. It's literally what we've all had to do in order to create change. Yeah. Radical responsibility. The other thing about that is that it's, if you're in a victim mindset, you're not taking radical responsibility. You just, you're just not. And, and that's okay. Right. I can see it usually right away, but learning to shift into that space of taking ownership of taking radical responsibility for yourself, for your choices. It's a game changer. It's just not always what people want to do, but it is a game changer. It'll (laughs) change your life. It is. You're so right. Um, we're going to end the show, but I want to, uh, you touched on something that's like something that I, that I think just resonated with me so much that I got to learn how to use is the react and respond because, oh my God, I tell people all the time. And I guess this is so bad of me. I react to people. Oh yeah. I a hundred percent react and it can be explosive. Mm-hmm. And I, from what you said, you're right. It doesn't seem to help the situation. It just, like you said, it's like gaslight, I throw in fuel on the fire. It's not really putting it out. It's just kind of like now escalating. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of just blew my mind. Just I now, saw your eyes when I said Marsha. Oh my God. That just blew my mind. I'm like, wow, I got to learn how to respond versus it's- react. And I would be, and I would sit proud in that react and like, oh, I'm reacting. You did it. So now this is the reaction you get. I love that you shared that. And I mean, I, I think I wore that badge for a long time that, I mean, I was a fighter. I would fight every single battle, even if it wasn't mine, even if it didn't matter. And I fought all of it. 
And what happened is I was constantly exhausted, burnt out, tired, feeling like, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's like, wait, is any of this my fight? And yeah. the counselor said that to me. I still use that to this day. Wait, okay. If I react, I'm throwing gas on the fire. I don't know about you, but yeah. a fire does not go down when you start throwing gas on Mm-mm. it. And nobody it wins. Doesn't right? Nobody wins. Mm -mm. And so learning, one of my biggest parenting lessons I can say is learn how to say less, faster, faster. Mm -hmm. That's like, that is responding. Now, if you've spent your life reacting, which I did, when you start to respond, you're going to, you're going to upset the boat a little bit. People won't understand what's happening. We just had a an issue at Christmas and my family's laughing like, Oh, we can't wait to see Marsha's reaction. And I, I did because they're used to it. And I literally looked and I was like, Oh, that's not my problem. And they're like, that's it. I'm like, it's actually not my problem. Mm -hmm. And they were waiting and they're trying to bait me for more. And I'm like, no, it's actually not my problem. I'm not interested. And I totally walked away. And I remember my husband saying the look on everyone's face, but that was change, (laughs) right? That was learning to change. And when you can shift from reacting to responding, responding is honoring your energy, your boundaries, your, like your self care. It will change the game for you. And especially, yeah, honestly, I just, I, I'm glad that that landed. I could see it on your face. It It really did. I swear to you, every interview that I have, I I keep learning something new about myself and just new ways to handle things. And this interview has really just blown my mind right now. Just by that last (laughs) you made has really just shifted. And I'm like, I now have to set myself on a journey of one, being more vulnerable. And that's why I'm glad I did this show because I want to learn how to be more vulnerable and share and be able to have my story resonate with other people. Um, because I feel like I do have stories that people can learn from and things that I've been through are going through at the moment that, you know, either I can get advice from other people or people can advise, I can advise others. So the vulnerability piece, I'm definitely going to work on that and the re- responding and reacting. That is, that is huge. That is huge. I'm so Listen, glad. I'm so glad I, landed. I thank you, Marsha, for being on the show. This has been such an amazing show. I have learned a lot. And I know a lot of you guys out there are going to learn a lot. If you're watching or listening, you are going to learn a lot from this episode. So make sure you always listen and watch to the end. I appreciate much for being on here and giving us so much wisdom, dropping so many jewels throughout this conversation. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for your story and how people resonate with your story. Um, I am Shawnee Sanders, guys. This is the Girl Take the Podcast, and we will see you next time.